I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the unbeaten at home against the big six of the podcast. Unexpected, but we'll take it. And I'm joined by the Bamford tap-in of the podcast, Joe Hill. It's been a while, but let's hope it was worth the wait. And finally, the VAR millimetre offside call of the podcast. Does anyone really want to see it? It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, yeah, I've got a face for radio and a voice for the monastery, so that that kind of <laughs> works quite well as an intro for me. Thanks very much. <laughs> in terms of the VAR millimetre offside call uh, and the goal being disallowed, do I want to see that in the game? No, not really. Did I find it hilarious when it happened to Harry Kane? Absolutely, I really enjoyed <laughs> that, yep. <laughs> and uh, Joe Hill, who was in fact responsible for the intro this morning, so if anyone's thinking that I'm being too harsh on Darren, then it's not true, we're all being too harsh on Darren. <laughs> but Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, it was my debut sorting out the intro, so I feel like it's gone down pretty well. <laughs> but yeah, with regards to that offside call, it was it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean... Yeah, it's just stupid, but I'm I'm glad we won three one in the end because uh, you know it, it it sort of gives us that uh, window that if they had scored that, then maybe it would have been three two. Who knows? Even though um, the the Spurs manager didn't take that into account. And what what I'm enjoying already, lads, is that we've spent more time complaining about Spurs having a goal wiped off than we ever have about Leeds. <laughs> 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 It was remarkable, though, wasn't it? When they when they put that first line on, the really thin line, because they obviously chunk those massive, chunky lines on later on. Um, it just looked on side. It just looked level, right? But there we are. It, it worked out for the best. And uh, as I will say, we don't want to spend ages talking about boring things like refereeing decisions. So let's instead talk about one of the better performances we've had this season. Um, certainly one of the better performances we had in the second half of the season. Um, and so let's begin, as we always do, by saying, how did that feel? Let's keep the good vibes going. Uh, we'll start with you, Joe. How did that feel? Yeah, it felt really good. Just from the first 10, 15 minutes, I thought the pressing was really good, um, much better than in the Brighton game. Um, the energy was really good. It just seemed that we were switched on so much more. I don't know what it is about the the Brighton game, because it's the, the same 11 players and everyone in the same position. Um, but it was completely different. It's just like we'd flicked a switch um, and we were suddenly really up for it. And yeah, it was it was pretty comfortable to watch um, most of the time, which is 
not it can't be said about many Leeds games, but um, for most of the ninety minutes, I was just quite comfortable watching and just enjoying it. So it was it was really great in that sense. Yeah, and sometimes recently we've gone into games and you just feel as though from the first ten minutes you get a really good idea of what the rest of the game is going to be like. Um, and so yeah, it's it's nice going into a game like the Spurs game on Saturday and have have that first ten minutes where you feel as though yeah we're going to be all right here. This is going to suit us. This game maybe it will be slightly different in the second half, but there's there's not really much to to worry about. So very enjoyable from a fan experience a, a game like yesterday's. Darren, how about you? Yeah, it was interesting because I went through quite quite a range of of emotions yesterday. So I was I was a little bit apprehensive when I saw the same team that had started against Brighton, uh, and and I I wondered how that team would be able to 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 do things. But I also did have half an inkling, and I think I kind of hinted at this in the group chat before the game that that I sort of felt that um that there was there was a chance that we might be able to move Spurs around that perhaps that the that the coaching that they were having wouldn't be quite as defensively solid as some of the teams that we faced. And that we, that we might have some joy, and then, but but the thing I was most pleased. Well, there were two other things I was most pleased about. The first, the, the the first thing was that it was immediately apparent that we were going to press them high. That we that that our two eights were going to get onto their two deep line midfielders. That we weren't going to give them time and space on the ball, and that they wouldn't have the guile uh, or the kind of movement to to get through that. And that was superb. The other uh, amazing moment for me was when. Uh, I correctly predicted about a minute before Rodrigo scored that that was going to happen, which was like an, an you know an act of mind reading or something. But actually, although it, although it's you know it seems like a bit of a daft thing to say, um, it, the the reason I said it was because I felt that there would be space to exploit and that I felt there would be a good chance that we would score again. I mean, obviously, whether it was him or not, um, it was was there and uh, you know is is irrelevant. But but I felt that we were going to get in behind them at least once and have a good chance. And and I was really pleased. When, when it was Rodrigo that, that got that goal. Yeah, it was nice to see Rodrigo looking a bit sharper, um, but we'll talk about him a little bit more later on. If you, Incidentally, if you do want to see the absolute worst attempt to defend a goal this season <laughs> that I've seen, then have a look at the way the Spurs defend that third goal that Lee scored yesterday. It, it is remarkable. Um, if you just break it down moment by moment and just work out just who is defending where in which moment and <laughs> yeah Spurs back four basically end up along the sideline somehow I've, I've yeah. just never seen it before I'm looking forward already to doing the video analysis of that one um, tomorrow so there, there's something for you to look out for um, let's talk about so there's lots and lots to talk about I think the the first thing to get into really is the big picture question that that Joe brought up there which is this is a team that last week against Brighton looked completely unable to create chances, completely unable to press, and yesterday they looked like world beaters. So I guess there's there's two questions here. One one of them is what changed. I think we'll start with that one. Why is it suddenly that this team, as Joe said, that was exactly the same structure, exactly the same lineup, players in exactly the same positions um, last week? Why did that? Why were they suddenly able to to do that? So um, let's kick off with you, Joe. What do you make of of the difference between this week and last week? And I think it's quite interesting, isn't it, that that we get this chance to actually just compare the same team in two games and see what we can make of it. It's quite difficult to put my finger on, really, when I was thinking about this. Um, it's it's almost a typical Leeds thing, isn't it, to 
play much better in the in the bigger games. We did this in the championship all the time, and then the games that you expect us to win uh, comfortably. So Brighton, who are much lower down in the table than we are, um, they managed to turn you over and give you a difficult game. Um, I think, like you say, a lot of it is to do with Spurs defending. Um, they just look really shabby. Dyer wasn't on it. I thought for the whole game, I just thought he was just on another planet. Um, Bale was non-existent um, defensively. I mean, he had a great performance the week before and scored a hat trick, and then suddenly it just looked like a completely different player. Because I was looking at the lineup before, thinking that Bale's going to have Alioski, um, but yeah, it, it just wasn't the case. And I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I put it down to. I think it, the players just looked a lot sharper. I can only really draw the conclusion that it must be a mentality thing because. Their pressing was just so much better. Their passing was so much better. The organisation was better. And a couple of them, a couple of the players have mentioned in the post-match interviews that Bielsa um, gave them a good speech uh, before they left the hotel and said, um, "We don't want to just let this season tail out. Um, we want to sort of push on and make sure these last four games have a really big impact." So maybe it's just that the players were buoyed up from from that speech and that it's down to um, Bielsa changing their mentality, but. I'm not really sure what the other explanation would be as to the last two games. Yeah, I, I kind of um, agree with Joe that I think it really helped that that we were able to move Spurs around quite easily when we were in possession and that, you know, apart from maybe for the first five minutes Son trying to put Alien under pressure when he was in possession, that they, they really didn't press from the front in a, in a particularly structured or, or intense way. And I think that really helped us. But I think what helped us more than that was that um, Spurs approached their build-up play in a completely different way from Brighton. So while Brighton were quite direct in different ways, so they got the ball from front to back quite quickly or they, or they dribbled it from front to back quite quickly, Spurs seemed, in the first half at least, seemed to be quite wedded to moving the ball around laterally and that gives us a chance to kind of really get our press going and means that, that we don't get... We don't, get exposed in some of the same ways that Brighton did because we're kind of playing on the front foot and putting the opposition under a lot of pressure. Um, so I, I felt that, that that was the primary difference really was that, that Spurs approached the game differently from from the way that Brighton did and and the way that they approached the game was, was in a way which we're actually quite able to cope with a lot of the time. I think that one of the things we've not really touched on much this season in terms of opposition build-up is how against back threes we really struggled to press quite so uh, successfully as we do against back fours um, but well, and, and I guess like by extension back fives as it as it kind of was against Brighton um, I think as soon as you add an extra player into the opposition's back line then suddenly it becomes a lot easier for play for oppositions to, to build up from the back um, I think on top of that um, Spurs just looked very, very one-dimensional in terms of their in terms of their build-up play. I, uh, you know, you can see that Ryan Mason is trying to get Spurs to to build up in their in their um, in their game approach to the game. Um, but you know, we put them under decent pressure. I thought against their back line, their fullbacks were were pretty shaky. I thought against our press, and the only real penetration I think they got was when they managed to get the ball in the middle, and and they got players like particularly Celso actually. I thought carried the ball quite well in midfield areas, uh, but once they got there, it was just very much a case of you know, inshallah, try and get your. Um, creative players on the ball and see what they can do which they did on a couple of occasions um, but there was real, really no structure there in terms of 
possessing the ball, retaining possession and putting Leeds under pressure. So it was very much a case of as long as Leeds can get back and, and sort of get into a decent defensive structure, there wasn't really uh, much by way of, you know, structured build-up play, moving us around, etc., um, uh, etc. Et and I think as well, the um, we've seen this a few times actually more recently, That uh, and I think we are maybe doing this a bit more. I think our centre-backs are tracking forward players deeper a lot more than we were at the beginning of the season and I think with players like players like Kane who likes to get on the ball deep and and create from there um, players like uh, I think the Manchester United players when we played against them I think they again they're players who like to drop deep and and are used to when you drop deep you just get time and space to read the game see what's going on get your head up and play creative passes um, they just don't get the time to do that so much and it, it you know you don't your press doesn't have to be particularly um, good it, from those areas. Your centre backs don't necessarily have to win the ball, but you're doing enough just to to unsettle what they're used to. That suddenly they just feel everyone in their forward line just suddenly feels as though they have no time on the ball. And uh, I think we've got a, a lot of edge from that in in recent games as well. Yeah, Pascal Strout was magnificent at when following Harry Kane all over the place and making sure he couldn't really get involved in the game. And obviously, like when you've got players of the quality of Bale, Kane, Son, and and, and Deli Ali, they they are going to have moments, aren't they? In in any 90 minutes and that proved to be the case yesterday but other but by and large I thought we managed their threats you know remarkably well the only other thing I'd say as well is that Brighton pressed us so well in wide areas and I say this in every um, video analysis that I do when we do again uh, when we play against Brighton and yesterday Spurs Spurs pressing in wide areas out of possession play in wide areas was just totally abysmal um, I, I went on FB ref this morning and just had a look at the progressive distance per passing for Leeds yesterday and the the top players were the two fullbacks Gianni Alioski picked up 583 yards of progressive distance on his passing um, and then you've got Luke Ayling uh, four six six. You got Pascal Strout a centre back, and then you got Jack Harrison and Stuart Dallas. This is literally unheard of. That when when it comes to progressive passing, it's the the four wide players in the top five. It just never happens, and so it, it was just very very apparent to me that the problems that we have are when we get when we get pressed in in wide areas in the build up phase. We we just can't maintain possession. When we don't, we absolutely destroy teams. And for me, I think this is the the main. The main difference is that, uh, and again, it comes down to that back three that we talked about, because in this situation, when when you have Gareth Bale not doing his defensive work on the right, you then have Serge Aurier pushing up um, to, to back him up when the, when leads get through. And then suddenly you just have a gaping hole in between um, Alderweireld, the the right centre back, and and the right back as well. So and Leeds were just plundering that that area over and over again. The three goals all came from that area, and it, I just I just don't think that's a coincidence. So yeah, it's um I guess on the basis of that, then the, the next interesting question is for me anyway how how much should we read into a result like this, given that given that what's happened here is clearly we've come up against one opponent who are smart uh, at, at finding out what it is that we do. And then we've come up against an opponent who isn't smart at, at finding what we do and, and stopping it. How do we take that um, going forward and uh, apply it to, you know, the analysis of, of, of what we do when we, when we look at Leeds? Cause I think there's a tendency for us to be as Leeds fans, you know, negative when you see a game like Brighton and then, positive when you see a game like the Spurs game understandably when in effect it seems as though the main thing that's happened is that the opposition have actually approached the game in a completely different way which has benefited us so I'll start with you on this Darren what what do you make of that? Yeah I, I think it's interesting because because you know it wasn't actually the Brighton game 
which uh, triggered concern for us in a sense uh, as a pod, as, as an outlet because we we were talking about some of the things that we were concerned about in terms of not being able to build up and and not being able to create enough chances and and, and things and and I think that what yesterday demonstrated to me was that that um that perhaps as ever with with most of these things the truth about what we're able to do and how we're able to create chances and 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 all that kind of thing is kind of somewhere between the things that we were observing when we were playing man united and 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 to to a lesser degree city but also chelsea um which is that we weren't really able to create chances and i think but but then that Yesterday, you know, the temptation would be to go. Well, everything's fine now. We fixed it. Everything's absolutely fine. We're going to create these chances all the time, and and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Is that, that when we come up, up come up against teams who are either defensively smart or who've got defensively very good players, that that we that we at the moment we are st- still going to struggle to create chances. But when we come up a team who are as bad as Spurs were yesterday, and I think Spurs defensively yesterday were as bad as West Brom were when we played them at the Hawthorns. I, I really think they were appalling. Um, but but that doesn't mean, that doesn't take away the credit from the fact that we were still able to make and, and, and kind of, you know, finish those chances. So I, I think it's a kind of, I think it's a reminder for me, I guess, to sit some, to kind of not get too carried away when I see one thing or another thing happening. Because I always try and approach things from quite a balanced point of view. But but because I was I was as worried as as I think you were, John, about the lack of chances that we were creating previously. I think I'd kind of forgotten that actually we are able to, you know, when given a bit of time and space, and it, it it it's not necessarily even that we need loads, but when when we're not under intense pressure, when we're not under an intense press, we are still able to create really good chances, and that was really reassuring because we've talked a lot. You know, I think last week when we talked about what are our expectations, what are our hopes for the rest of the season, and and the thing that I said last week was I really wanted to see a good attacking performance. I wanted to see us really focus on getting the, the attacking system working and I felt the attacking system worked really well yesterday. So that it feels quite reassuring um, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the final three games again. Yeah, one, I guess one thing I would add to that is that, and we've talked about this a lot, is, is about how Bielsa's whole system is about giving players time and space um, so that they can be better. I mean, we, we just talked about how Spurs strikers and attacking players when they didn't have the sort of time and space that they used to uh, they didn't look as maybe as dangerous as they as they necessarily might have done uh, and the same is true for us the part of the edge that we get with Bielsa as our manager is that he takes players and elevates their level um, and so much of that is to do with the ability to manipulate space the ability to manipulate opposition structure and to and to generate these these moments where where players do get get more space um, and I think the the two games versus Brighton and and Spurs just in, it, just incredibly indicative of that. We played against a, a team who were smart, didn't allow us the space to exploit, and we we looked very very uh, we looked very very clueless in terms of our attacking play. And then you get a team like Spurs who were the complete opposite, and then suddenly, as I've said, we looked like one of the most dangerous teams in the league. Um, and I guess the the trick is from here is to is to work out how we can get from from you know, games like Spurs to playing against game teams like Brighton who are smarter and how, how we bring in those the, the, the personnel and develop uh, tactical ideas that allow us to, to generate those sorts of chances in those games as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump in with you on, on this, Joe. Did you have anything more that you wanted to add? I just wanted to echo what you said, really, and mention consistency over the course of a season because um, ultimately 
every team wants to be consistent in every game. Um, that's what the top teams wants to do. Uh, that's what the teams at the bottom want to do. They they just want to be consistent. And even teams like Man City, who are going to win the league, um, have shown that week in, week out, there's going to be some inconsistencies. They're going to struggle to break teams down some weeks. So I just wanted to tie that into Leeds' situation and just um, echo what you've said, that we shouldn't really read into this too deeply, um, just because... One week we've come up against Brighton, um, who looked really tactically astute, and one week we came up against Spurs, um, and we managed to break them down. So it's just it's just the natural inconsistency that's going to come with being in the Premier League, I think. Um, and if we can obviously keep that consistency going forward for the next few games and going into next season, um, like you say, when we come up against Brighton next season, um, if we can show that we can break them down a little bit more, but it is just an expected part of the season that there's going to be ebbs and flows and ups and downs and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just to add to that, I think that the, the highest that, that any of us expected Leeds to finish this season was was kind of mid-table. And I think built baked into finishing mid-table is a degree of inconsistency. Now, I think I think for us, as uh, in terms of the sort of things that we're looking for, I think we were a bit less concerned about inconsistency in terms of results, but more concerned when we see inconsistency in terms of the types of things that we're trying to do and whether we're able to achieve them or not. I think it's important to draw that distinction. And I think that's why we're very positive about a result like yesterday where we beat Spurs in a very deserved performance. Yeah versus some of the more recent results we've had where we've picked we've picked up points but we've actually not looked that impressive at all in terms of some of the attacking play that we've put together so um I think that for us that's why this this is uh, I, th- I think uh, yeah it's just going to be a really positive game uh, and it will be important to our narrative as we as we read the rest of the, of the season um I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what changed as well in terms of um, we're going to talk about the two halves. The two halves did look slightly different. Um, Spurs did look more open in the first, but were a little more solid um, in the second. And I wondered if we thought that was that was simply Spurs' tactical decision or whether or not we did anything different. But I'd, I think it would be really important. It's really important for us at this point to talk about the fact that we looked our most dangerous yesterday. And I've just looked at the FB ref XG figures. We put up two point six XG versus Spurs's one. Um, now. I think if you look at the shot maps um, that on, on InfoGoal, it's it's pretty clear that we created the better chances, but we we did create two very very good chances, well uh, three very very good chances in terms of like the shot locations. So um, I think the 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 XG does um, reflect that. Uh, all of the I think were all of the shots from the six. No, no, uh, Rodriguez will be will be in the penalty area, but um, it was obviously just a one on one with the keeper. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about the impact of not playing Stuart Dallas in midfield. So the, the, the big the big narrative that we've had this season is that Leeds started off playing quite gung-ho football and were putting up good chances, but were also conceding good chances. Uh, and then we moved Stuart Dallas into the midfield after the Manchester United game. There's a few results around them uh, with Manchester United. Also, the um, uh, Crawley result, I think, was quite in, in, indicative in that, in that re- respect. Um, and then we obviously defended... A little bit better. We solid it up defensively, but we didn't look as good attackingly. Do we read anything into the fact that we played the first half yesterday, where we looked really dangerous um, through through the first forty five minutes with Stuart Dallas in a wide area and and Mateus Click in the middle? 
did do we think that made a difference one from an attacking point of view and two did we think that made a difference to our press as well because we've made a big thing about Stuart Dallas being a more zonal player in terms of his midfield pressing than than click so I'll put that over to you first Darren what do you make of those two things in terms of playing click and uh, and having Dallas on the wide and the wide area do you think that was why we looked more like we did at the beginning of the season than we did more recently yeah, I think there is some truth in that. I think I think we I think we've identified quite a few times throughout the last few weeks that that although you know we we or I appreciate that Click has been in poor form uh, for quite a while or has been carrying an injury or whatever it might be that that it's been it's been clear that from the point of view of the press in in term, because the the press isn't just a defensive function for us is it it's also an attacking function in the sense that we're able to win the ball and create chances and we did that quite a few times yesterday so I, I think we I think we have really missed click from that point of view but but it was also clear that we weren't really able to play him so we didn't have a natural replacement um so I think I think that that although you might want to come up with a with a solution which means that that you don't play with that more kind of zonal thing or or against a lot of teams you don't play with that more zonal thing I really don't see because of us because our squad depth is so thin what what kind of other choices we had I think yesterday was really it seemed to give indications that Click is feeling a bit more like himself I think that that he's not only um, crucial to our press but he's also really crucial to the kind of build-up and interplay around the opposition box and the way that he's, he's kind of really schooled in Bielsa's system and a lot of a lot of good work goes through him. Um, I also thought Dallas pressed pretty, pretty well yesterday in, in quite an active way, and I, I don't know whether the numbers back that up, but 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 the way that I, I felt that there was a kind of there was a wholesale commitment to the press yesterday, which I don't think we've seen for quite a while, um, and and that was you know really impressive and reassuring and exciting to see. One of the things I've noticed actually looking through the numbers is that when Leeds play well in an attacking sense, their pressing numbers are usually way down, which suggests to me that we are doing much more pressing in forward areas and we don't have to have to worry about it so much deeper. So, for example, we lost to Brighton last week uh, to 2-0. We, we put up 241 pressures last week, of which 46 were successful yesterday we only put up 151 pressures or pressure pressure moments and 41 of those were were successful um and i've talked a lot about pressure success percentages mainly in a stylistic sense because uh, i'm you know pressure success is measured by whether or not the ball is turned over within five seconds of a pressing action um which doesn't necessarily mean your pressing is, is good or bad necessarily because it may be the case that your pressures are designed to result in a sort of slow pressure game where you're forcing players into wide areas and then you're going to press press them from there so it may be that a lot of your pressure pressures may not be quote-unquote successful in that sense but I think what's really noticeable from us is that when we have when we press less but have a, a sort of higher success rate it usually means that our high pressing is on form uh, and our high pressing hasn't really been on form recently um, and so that this was just an observation that I made I think you know the pressing was definitely better than it has been for a while. It felt more coordinated there were a couple of times when I noticed um, noticed the eights passing passing a player onto each other and then moving towards the ball. And that just felt like it was happening much more smoothly than it has recently. Um, and there, I noticed a couple of times when, when you know, I saw I saw uh, Click and Roberts kind of not having, a, not arguing, but really kind of forcefully talking about how, how the, the previous bit of pressing should have worked and kind of, so it, fe- it felt like, to me, it felt a bit like Click was kind of trying to coordinate that a little bit or, or there was some something like that happening. 
Um, so I think I think that was again it was it was really good to see. And I, I felt like you know we're going to come on to talk about the halves in a minute, but I felt like in the first half we forced Spurs into making a lot of mistakes uh, in, in in their build up. Whereas I think in the second half we just picked up on the mistakes that they made. If that makes if that makes sense, that we hadn't necessarily pressured them into. Yeah, I think in the second half, Spurs were under a lot more pressure to try and get a goal, right? And so it was inevitable that we would probably not press quite so high and that we would wait to hit them on the break. That made a lot of sense. And in in the end, that's how the goal came. Obviously, they were just so open at the the back that that we were just able to uh, drive through them quite comfortably. Um, So I think mainly the the two halves did come from from that. I mean, the the decision to then move Dallas into the middle in the second half and then um, bring on Rafinha. Obviously, you want to bring Rafinha on just by dint of the fact he's Rafinha, but it, it did also mean that we were able to switch our play from from being, I think, a, a fairly proactive front foot um, attacking side to maybe a little bit more uh, reticent to go to push forward, but but try and hit them on the break and knowing that they were going to have to push forward for a goal. So that's how I would um, distinguish between the two halves. Um, one of the other results of, of this of this sort of weirdness between having a you know a, a game one week that looks comfortable and a game the next week that the, the, the previous week that didn't is that some players who look good one week don't look good the next week um, and I think we've got a couple of test cases to talk about here um, one of them is Jani Alioski who looks looked bad last week and looked good this week the other one for me is Robin Koch who looked I think good both weeks but we talked about him more this week because because obviously the performance um, I think generated more more um, conversations about him but let's let's start with Alioski Joe um this is something which happens quite a lot on our channel we we will be critical of some aspects of Leeds players games one week and then the next week they'll have a good game and so we have a lot of listeners who send in sort of gotcha messages being like well you said Alioski was bad um and yet he had a great performance this week um I think it's, it's important to, to caveat this but with we're saying a lot of our criticisms of players are very um specified we make it very clear I, I hope we make it very clear that when we are critical of an aspect of a player's game we are critical of an aspect of a player's game um and you know that I think Stuart Dallas is another player in this regard who we've had a lot of people say, you said last season that Dallas was rubbish in midfield and this season he's been great. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that's a, a fair assessment of how things have gone. But we're playing a very different system this this season. I think last season playing Dallas in midfield was a mistake. This season, I think it's been a, a, good, um, a good development. I also think, ironically, that playing Dallas as a fullback this season hasn't been as good for the main, most part um, as he has been playing in central midfield. So again, the system plays into this. So this all, all of this by means of saying um, when we are critical of players, hopefully we are critical of players not in a holistic sense. We're not just simply saying this player isn't, isn't good at this, therefore he's a bad player. Um, Alioski yesterday had huge amounts of space and time, as we've said, and really that really emphasised the the good aspects of his game, uh, his engine, his ability to to play passes when he's not under pressure, his ability to to get forward and and help out in attacks. Um, so I'll push this one over to you, Joe. Um, what did you make of Alioski yesterday? Um, the good things uh, in particular. Well, he was really good yesterday, and like you said, um, I think he had a lot of time and space. Um, we saw the build up for the third goal, I think it was where he won the ball back in our own box, um, played a nice one-two with um, Click, I believe, someone in the centre, and and then played a lovely ball down the line, um, which all sort of springboarded the attack. Um, and I think he did he did show that when he does have time and he does have space, um, that he can be 
quite effective. I think when we've been critical of him in the past, it's been under high pressure situations um, when he's being pressed um, pretty intensely by the opposition. I personally think that he lacks uh, some com- composure in that setting. And we didn't really see that uh, too much yesterday. Um, I did want to throw in a question, which is uh, from Callum Archibald, which sort of mentions this and uh, that or mentions the positive side of Alioski's game. And he says that into-out movement for the overlap by Alioski for Bamford's goal is a muscle memory move, right? Bielsa has drilled that intelligent move into the team and Jani has benefited from three years of intense training to mug Aurier off. Talk to me about how good that was. And I think that that sort of says it all for me because Alioski has proved that his movements and when he's been drilled uh, by Bielsa on his movements, they can be really good. And we see that overlap all the time. Alioski makes that overlap uh, over Harrison all the time, every single game almost, and it really paid off for him. So I think it's important to recognise that he does bring a lot in an attacking sense and that this sort of scripted movements that he makes can be really good. But um, like you say, we didn't really see much pressure uh, to Halioski whilst he was on the ball. So I think that really allowed him to have a good game yesterday. I suppose the logical extension of the question about Alioski is, does that mean therefore that we want to keep him next season because he's, he's had good performances and he's able to have good performances? And for me, that answer is still no. Because although there are there are games when he plays really well and there are games when he can have a really positive impact on games, the things that we need to improve on are the things that he's weakest at. So I, I think that it's really, really important that, that, that it's like not getting carried away too far one way or the other that, that we're able to just say he's you know I'm, I'm very fond of Gianni Alioski he, he drives me mad sometimes but I'm very fond of him uh, it's not it's not about that it's about the, it's about when you look at it dispassionately does he have the skills to improve the things that we're weakest at and and it's clear to me that that, that he doesn't um so I just wanted to say that really I think the the point is is that we don't want to have players on the team who can win the games that we're already winning. Exactly. It's, we yeah. want players who can win those games that we're not already winning. And you know the thing is, if you bring in a good left back, they'll be able to do what Jenny Alioski did yesterday, plus the the under pressure stuff as well. And uh, I think that's that's really why you want you want to have a maybe a more rounded player in that position. And let's not forget, Jenny Alioski has played his whole career as a as an attacking wide player. Like <laughs> there should be no surprises that maybe in in close build-up play he's not not the best and I think we got away with that a lot in the in the championship because we didn't have to do a huge amount of defending in in those sorts of scenarios and 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 we didn't have to do that deep build-up where we have to work the ball through a a fairly intense press and when we did we actually struggled remember Barnsley let's not (laughs) there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
let's move on to talk about Robin Koch then, because I was pretty positive about Robin Koch after the Brighton game. Um, I spent a whole section in our video analysis looking at him. I thought he did everything well. Um, and there's a lot to like about what he did. Now, obviously, in the Brighton game, he was put under way more pressure than he was put under in the Spurs game. And, you, you know, the, the, the upside of that was that he made some decent progressive passes that he wouldn't have had the chance to make against Brighton. Um, but he did still make progressive patterns passes against Brighton and he did get into the, the right sorts of areas and stuff. Um, so, yeah, let's go to you on this, Darren. What do you make of, of Robin Koch over the, over the last two weeks? Do we think that... Um, that we should read more into his performance yesterday or his performance into the week before? Because I guess the thing for me is, yeah, okay, we're going to have games where we play against teams who are really flabby in the middle and it's good to have players who can exploit that. But I do think that it's really important to play players who under pressure, in under intense pressure, um, are able to, to play the role well as well. Um, so, yeah, what was your take on, on Robin Koch over the last two weeks in particular? I think, I think last week he was, um, I think, I think he performed about as well as you could expect given the circumstances that he was playing in. So he, he wasn't able to kind of influence the game really positively from a, from a progressive passing or from a build-up point of view. But he was able, by and large, although there were a couple of times when he was when he made mistakes under pressure, but by and large, I felt he was able to just kind of keep things ticking over. He was able to kind of and and manage the ball without without putting us under undue pressure, which I, I felt was a, a really good thing. And 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 overall, you know, and I, I said this after the. Brighton game at home about Pascal Strauch and I'm going to say it about Robin Cock although I have to say I do think Robin Cock has, has played the position probably slightly better than Pascal has um, that that I, I don't think Robin Cock's performance against Brighton was vastly different from what Calvin Phillips would have been able to do and um, I think it's really important to say that because of the sort of way that the game went because of the sort of pressure he was under in possession that by and large Calvin's passing would have been limited to sideways and backwards passing which is what what Robin Cox really was um yesterday I thought he was he was able to um be much more dominant in the game and I thought he was able to step out of position quite often I thought his passing was good I thought his progressive passing was really good I thought he was mobile he was able to get around um, I think you know p- apart from the goal where, where he was involved in the loss of the ball and I can't exact uh, the Spurs goal but, uh, I can't exactly remember what happened but I know he was involved there and therefore he was out of position when, when Delhi picked the ball up but but other than that I thought he was defensively really sound and, and again his, his defensive positioning and I know I always say this when I talk about Robin Cock, but there were even a few times yesterday where, where that thing where he sees it, his man being run at and backs him up and makes sure that the player's not getting past him, even if he gets past his man. Um, you know, I thought it was really impressive. So overall, I, I feel, you know, much more positive than I necessarily expected to do so about, about Robin Cock playing in that position. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was a little bit hesitant having watched Robin Koch play a lot last season um, at Freiburg, having watched him a lot over the last three seasons. Um, actually, I was I wasn't sure about how he was going to play in this role, and I, I genuinely think he's he's going to be our our backup there or whatever. Um, I I would have no problem him filling in whatsoever. Um, I think one of the really interesting things for me um, scouting has been uh, over the last season anyway has been not being able to necessarily um, recognise the, the the aspects that are added to a player's game when they play in our system because our system is so different. Uh, and I think Robin Koch has really added something to that. So you think his positional game, as you mentioned, Darren, is is exceptional. He's probably one of our better um, in, intelligent um, readers of space um, in a defensive sense. Um, 
and yeah I think it's it's great that we've got him as, as a potential backup in that position um, I also think I would add that there's been a lot of people again sending gotcha messages about about Koch as a as a defensive midfielder because we were always fairly defensive of striking Strauch in that position um, just to, just by way of clarification my position was always that that Pascal Strauch never played that position as bad as people thought that he did. Um, I've never <laughs> once suggested that that Koch is is wouldn't be as good as, as Strauch, um, and I I'm happy to say that I think that, that that like you said, Darren, that Koch is is definitely better than, than Strauch in that in that position. Um, so yeah, all, all good stuff. Joe, we had a couple of questions. We had one from Guy who said Koch in the four role. Have we found an answer to that Phil Latch Calvin shaped hole? Uh, Leeds faithful said does Koch resolve our backup CDM issue and if so does that change our transfer considerations KP seems to be doing well in the 8 role from time to time as well should we prioritise the 8-10 over the 8-6 um, yeah obviously the eight, the, the 6 and the 4 in these two questions are the same position just by way of clarification <laughs> um, but yeah Joe what do you make of this it's interesting because we, we obviously saw uh, Phillips get that cameo in the 8 position with him pushing slightly further up. I know it was only a few minutes, but um, he sort of did that for England as well, um, just playing a bit more advanced. Um, and I wonder if that is um, something that Bielsa wants to experiment with a bit more, um, or if that was just um, because there was only five minutes left and we were winning 3-1. I don't think Calvin is um, going to change position next season. I think he's going to be the CDM, and I think he's going to be the starter um, for a CDM. But I think... What doesn't hurt is just to have that little bit more variety um, in terms of the positions that he can play and that Robin Cock plays. And um, it's definitely going to improve Phillips' game uh, as a CDM to play more advanced occasionally, uh, just to get better awareness of each position and what the roles are in each position. So I think it was probably more of a case of that uh, from Bielsa. And going forward into the summer, it is it is interesting whether this changes things because it seems like the club have gone the whole season saying we need to find a replacement for Calvin or at least a backup for Calvin uh, for when he's injured if that's not going to be Adam Forshaw. Um, and then we we saw Forshaw come back from injury. I don't really know how he's getting on uh, from his l- latest setback. But now we've seen Cock play a couple of games there and look pretty decent. So... I think potentially this this could change things. Uh, I think there might be a bit more experimentation needed from Bielsa on the training ground and on match days. Um, but yeah, it's it 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 might change the transfer window, and it might be that we do look for a more eight slash ten and um, a more defensive midfielder. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the idea of Calvin as a eight. I'll be honest. Didn't Bielsa say last? Bielsa said last week that he doesn't see in in one of the interviews. I think it, uh, I can't I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like Calvin is able to do some of the things of the eight well, but he has all the facility to play at six. It was it was something along those lines. I can't remember the exact uh, details of it, but yeah, I think it kind of does pose like an interesting question as well, though in a negative sense because. I just can't see Robin Koch being happy to just sit on the bench as a backup to two positions. Um, he moved to Leeds United as the as the prime centre back option, and the reason we brought Yorente in was because Koch was injured and was going to have to have an operation, so we needed to have a a, a backup who could we'd be happy starting. And I do think it does pose an interesting question, but given what we know about Bielsa not liking having plays sitting around kicking their heels, as to what you do with Koch, and I don't think that. 
you can have you can't you can't have a scenario where you say to Koch, well, you know, you're going to back up Urente on at right centre back, and you're going to back up um, Phillips as as the centre defensive midfielder, and you know that maybe sounds bad, but both of those players will have injuries in in the coming season probably, so you'll probably get games. I, I don't think he'll be happy with that. What do you think of that, Darren? I I agree. I and and I yeah, I think it would be quite a quite a come down for him. I suppose I suppose the the um. The flip side of that is that I think every player's got a responsibility to fight for the shirt that they want. So if he if he wants to, you know, get the get the five shirt, um, take take your rent a spot, he's gonna have to prove to Bielsa that he is the number one in that position. But then I think that you're right, it does open the possibility that as soon as Phillips gets an injury, if uh, if Cox is playing and playing well at centre back, that he's likely to be moved into the, into that spot, and then he risks losing that position, which is a bit bit of a weird thing. So I, I guess you know from that point of view, he he would have come to Leeds expecting to be the first choice for that position, and no, you know there are never guarantees about that kind of thing either. But but I think that because the the circumstances in which he stopped being that were were really out of his control, I think it's. It's an it's an interesting thing to, to to ponder, and I guess the the other problem is is that if you do have Koch as the starter over Urente, which I I sus- suspect you and I probably would gravitate towards Darren. The problem then is if you're using him as a backup to to um, Phillips, you still have that same problem that we had this season, which is you're moving a player out of another position who's playing well in that position to then move everything around to to cover for them so I'm, I'm not entirely sure that we we're gonna <laughs> have all of these problems solved easily but I think we could talk about this until the cows come home so um, and no doubt we'll talk about this a little bit more over the summer so let's let's move on I do want to talk about click because we had a couple of questions from from people about about click and obviously we've mentioned already that his inclusion in the midfield has coincided um, with with Leeds looking quite dangerous in an attacking sense so um, Leeds 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 said do you agree that Click looked back, thought he was much more like his old self and integral to the return of our scripted attacking movements. Um, Mr. L said, how important is a fit and inform Click to Leeds from an attacking perspective? Seems to find space between the lines and pick up positions that nobody else in the squad does. Such an intelligent player. Both of those uh, questions resonate very well with me. Um, Joe, what do you make of, of how Click played yesterday? He played really well and it was great to see him sort of back in quotation marks, but I am I don't want to be too hasty in 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 saying that he is well and truly back because uh it was just one game and he has looked a bit off the boil recently so I'm curious to see how he plays moving forward if he does play for the next 3 games um I do agree with Leeds 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 that in terms of the the scripted attacking movements and like I mentioned before with Alioski I think Click is quite intelligent in that sense and um he's he's well drilled he's been been with Bielsa um for long enough to to know the attacking patterns um and I think he does well uh to to pull them off um f- in terms of the this sort of attack uh and defense balance that we have this sort of season long dilemma that we're having where it feels like if we play click and um, two attacking players like click and Rodrigo, like we were at the start of the season that we're almost too attacking and it turns into basketball matches every game. And then when we put Dallas in midfield, um, like we've seen the past five, six, seven games um, aside from yesterday, we've, we've looked too defensive. Um, And I think it's Bielsa will be fully aware of this. um, And it's just about finding a balance and, it seems like yesterday we we seem to strike that balance pretty well um but if it if it was me i think if rafinha was fully fit 
um, I would be tempted to to drop click for the next game, put Calvin Phillips back in and put Rafinha back on the wing and Dallas back into central midfield. Um, that's just that's just me, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not fully sold on click being back fully, um, but curious to see what happens. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably the opposite to you in the sense that I really enjoyed us at the beginning of the season and I haven't really enjoyed the more defensive iterations. So it, I guess it just comes down to the question of whether or not you're happy sort of leeching away chances if you create more and better chances yourself. Um, and I can get why people would be the other way uh, because, you know, the, there's only so many times you can watch centre-backs just completely wander through your central midfield without getting annoyed by it. So, um, But yeah, Darren, what's your, what's your take, take on this? I think for me, I'd like I'd like to see Click starting in the in the in the next three games, and and I'm and I think I would like to see the pressier iteration of us playing the next three games, um, because you know by and large those those three teams are not are not likely to cause us a sort of problems that would necessitate us playing Dallas in that more zonal role. I don't think I think we've we've kind of got more of a chance of dominating those. So I think we should take that chance and really kind of go for it. Um I, I think Click is crucial to the way we play when he's playing well. Um and, and I although he didn't really influence the game against Brighton, I could having him back on the pitch I could see straight away, you know, that he was starting to try do at least some of the those scripted movements. And I know I, I kind of referenced it last week in, in, in the podcast that it didn't really come off and that he didn't look great and everything. But at least I, I felt that there was somebody who who knew that system and was able to try and at least try and pull some of those levers. Um but he yeah, he does find space incredibly well. He does um kind of find lovely little threaded passes you know very often and his shooting was as reliably as as bad as as it normally is yesterday which is also quite reassuring to see well let's move on talk a little bit about Rodrigo quickly because it was nice as you said Darren to see him scoring Uh, it was nice to see him looking a little bit sharp I'm I'm very aware that part of the problem with a result like yesterday's is that people are like oh x y and z all look sharper and sort of like a waves hand magic everything sorted out Uh, I think a lot of that does come down to Obviously, the the game state, the opposition, the way that they played. Um, so let's talk about that in a little bit more detail. Do we think that he started looking sharper, or, or how much of it was down to the fact that Spurs were pretty much open for the taking there? Yeah, I think it was a combination of both. I think I think that um, he he did look. I don't I hate using words like this because they're not kind of real in in a footballing sense. But he looked kind of a bit more. Um, engaged in the off the ball stuff so he was you know there were a couple of times when he followed his man quite deep um and 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 stuff but yeah i think i think it is difficult to ju- what was it like 15 minutes that he had or 20 minutes or something 15 with added time but yeah i think he came on 79 yeah so i think it's quite difficult to say on that basis that a player is back or is kind of sharper because i think you know i would expect any professional footballer to be able to run for 15 minutes without kind of blowing up um uh, but he but I think mentally he looked a bit more engaged and a bit more switched on and a bit more alert to what was going on around him in an off the ball sense um but you know like I was really pleased to see him score I think I think like the jury is still very much out I'm not I mean, I'm not I'm not kind of in a position where I feel like I can say oh yeah all my concerns about Rodrigo uh, uh, have gone away because he, he did well for 15 minutes against the Spurs team who were leaving lots of space to exploit. Um, but, but you know, any any reassuring and any encouraging sign, I'm very happy to kind of leap on and, and see it as just that. 
it's instructive that that Bielsa decided not to bring him on in, as an attacking midfielder recently and has preferred to bring him on as a nine, despite the fact that we've been quite critical of him as a nine in the games where he's come on. I wonder whether or not Rodrigo's role going forward is just going to be as a Bamford replacement with 20 minutes to go, um, offering something a little bit more um, cerebral maybe, maybe in the last 15 minutes of games when teams are getting tired and they're leaving spaces because that game yesterday was absolutely perfect for him to come on um, with, with 15 to go and or 10 to go and, and pick up a goal and I think that's what that's why you were saying Darren that you thought he was going to score when he came on um, and I think it will be interesting to see how he how he gets played um, going forward um, Green and Apple said did Rodrigo play the nine role differently to Bamford felt like he was dropping deeper he also looked a little sharper um, Joe what's your take on, on Rodrigo? I feel exactly the same as you chaps to be honest um, I'm really hesitant to, to say that Rodrigo is back or that he, he even that he looked sharper I mean I think it was for me I think it's 90-95% to do with the game state and the fact that he only came on like Darren said with um, 15 minutes to go and that's including injury time Um, so obviously it was welcome to see him uh, in that role and um, playing quite well but I'm really not reading into it too much and I do agree with you John that um, his role replacing Bamford with 20 minutes to go is is one that I can see um, going forward um, for the rest of this season and possibly even into next season. And if Bamford gets injured, then I think he'll be he'll be the natural replacement for Bamford. Um, but I don't think I can't see him displacing Bamford out of the team, um, which was a question that we were considering when we signed Rodrigo. Um, whether he would be the new number nine in the Premier League. And I think Bamford has done enough to prove that um, he can make it in the Premier League. Um, scoring 15 goals um, is fantastic. And I can't see Rodrigo displacing him. So, yeah, I do agree with you that that substitute role is probably all he's consigned to at the moment. And I think stylistically he is the sort of player who is going to look to drop deeper, isn't he? And, you know, the things that we've we've always said, irrespective of what our criticisms of Rodrigo over the course of the season have been, what we've always said is that he's very good at finding and exploiting space when it's there. And and because there was so much space yesterday, um, I think he was he was able to kind of get into the game and influence it uh, from that point of view. So, yeah, well, I think... I'm I'm interested to see what role he plays for the for the last what is it last three games of the season. Time is moving on, so it might be good to to just sort of start wrapping up. But we did have some looking forward questions, and I think it's it's nice to talk about the rest of the season now from here. So MOT. MO tweets, I guess it is, or is it MOT tweets? I don't know. Uh, but it says a bit of a boring one, but surely the target has to be finishing the season unbeaten now. No, really favourable games to do well, to do so as well. Um, those games are Burnley away, Southampton away, West Brom at home. Um, I mean, I, I guess we would have aimed to win all of these games anyway, but. Um, for me, the, there's, there are other issues that, that are to, to, to be um, maybe highlighted here. One of them is Burnley causes, causes a lot of problems at home. Um, I think there's certain things that Burnley do that we struggle with, so I think it'll be interesting to see how we play against Burnley. Southampton, high-pressing team um, who have dropped away a lot this season given presumably they're absolutely exhausted but it'll be interesting again to see what impact their high press has on our build-up um, given that we've been quite critical of of that in in, um, in in the last few months and West Brom I think will be a bit of a free hit so it'd be nice to see us maybe um, sort of take off the shackles a little bit and go for it but I think there's there's lots of other things going on as well that that you know lots of ideas that we talked about today where um, 
I think we could um, have questions about how we perform. I think we've talked about Rodrigo. We've talked about Click. Uh, we've talked about maybe experimenting with different things. So I'll put this to you guys. Like, what what is it that you want to see from the last three games of the season, um, and and why? So uh, I'll start with you, Darren. What what is it that you're particularly wanting to see from the last three games? A continuation of the things we did well yesterday. I want to see us consistently do those things well in in the three games. So I want to see I want to see our high press operating. Although, albeit that might be more difficult against Burnley because I think they're less likely to hold the ball in deeper spaces. Um, I want to see us managing Burnley's threat, such as it is, more effectively than than we did in the previous game. But other than that, yeah, I just want to I, I just want to kind of I don't really care what the results are. Because results are results, and we're going to finish, you know, in in mid table, irrespective of it. But I do, I do care. I think I just want to see our level of performance be good, and to see evidence that that we are kind of going to continue to play in that kind of exciting uh, and an enjoyable way that that we have, you know, that we have done for, for so much of Bielsa's reign. I, I think my exp- my my hopes are really quite simple from that point of view. I'm not sure if many people share this view or not, but I think. If it was up to me, I'd just throw in a few cameos for people. Um, I'd love to see Perveda start a game, for example, and just see how he gets on with 90 minutes. Um, Shackleton, I always um, point him out, but I'd love to see him start a game. Um, maybe that's the case for the West Brom game, like you say, that's a bit of a free hit. Um, just, I, I mean, Hernandez, we're all sort of longing for another Hernandez goal, Um wouldn't it be romantic if it was his last game for us? And I'd settle for a nutmeg, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If I had one nutmeg, it'd be fine. <laughs> Even him coming on the pitch at this stage would be <laughs> would be pretty welcome. But um, I don't think that Bielsa will do that. I don't think he's the type of manager that throws in romantic cameos or plays Shackleton for the sake of it. So I don't think that's going to happen. But um, that's just my personal opinion. It did against Charlton though. Uh, was it? Char- there was one of the games where he threw, where he threw more, you know, kind of threw a bit That's more true. caution to the wind because they were already down. We had nothing to play for, so I think I think there is a chance that we might see a, a slightly different lineup for West Brom. Let's do just a couple of quick fire honourable mentions. We've not talked about Harrison, um, so maybe a quick sentence from the two of you about Harrison's game. So Darren, he was fully on it yesterday, and. Uh, you know, he's, he's somebody that I rate and somebody that I enjoy, and I thought his pressing was really good, which is always the first thing we say. But I also thought his decision making was significantly better than it has been at times when he's had that much time and space in in previous games. So I think all in all, it was it was one of his better performances of the season. I think that was technically one sentence, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> yeah, I think he was. I actually thought he was un- unlucky not to score um, from that. Um, shunted shot which was from his left onto his right and but that was looking in the top corners and um, Luis made a good save but yeah it was a it was an all-round really good performance from Harrison. I think another indication of how our players are much better when they're given time and space he, he Aurier was absolutely toilet yesterday I thought and um, it was obvious both from Alioski and Harrison's performance that they really enjoyed the the sort of space and license that he gave them as well. Melier, Darren, do you want one sentence? <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe we should just skip Darren on Melio. <laughs> uh, well, he, he performed in exactly the way I've come to expect him to perform. There you go, one sentence. <laughs> yeah, nice. Would you like to add anything to that, Jim? Just to add that that save, I can't remember whose shot it was, but the one that was deflected and he readjusted, fantastic save. Love that. Oh, yes. I enjoyed that. I've got two things written down here. Firstly, Rob Price. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why this is written down on the running order. What, was there something that, that highlighted this? Well, I just chucked this in because um, 
it, I think he's done an incredible job of bringing everyone um, back from injury. We we nearly have a full fit squad, and um, I just thought it was a nice mention to chuck in to see um, Rafinha and Phillips coming back from their injuries. And yeah, I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> and the running coach as well, who I think got a mention from Bamford in the post-match interview. Is that right? Yeah, so Bamford said uh, apparently the running coach told him even if he scores a hat-trick, um, he still can't have Monday off and he still needs to keep going until the end of the season. So, yeah, he gets an honourable mention. Quite right, too. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that probably just about round, rounds up the podcast. Um, it's nice having something fun to talk about this week. It's um, really nice seeing Leeds the old Lee's back. My boys are back. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it at the moment. Um, and I think for me, for the last few games of the season, I just want to see that trajectory continue. I want to see us looking dangerous in attack um, more than anything. So yeah, here's to the next three games. So that will just about do it for our Spurs review. We'll be back during the week with a Burnley preview. We're playing them on Saturday again, I think, is, is another... 12.30 yeah. yeah so that's something to look forward to we'll be back with a podcast on that I will try and get a video analysis video out tomorrow on the Spurs game I think there's quite a lot to, to talk about from that so that should be fun um, if you do want to check out our Patreon it's www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we um, a rare injunction for you guys it would be great if you could rate and review our podcast wherever you listen to it it's nice it's always nice to get some we've had some uh, fun ones that have caused us much amusement recently so yeah if you don't like the podcast and want to review it as well do go ahead and do that because it does give us a, a bit of a ride chuckle now and then but again we've had as i mentioned the other day our best month in april of, of lessons and that's all down to you guys so thanks for tuning back in and i think that brings us to the end of the podcast so all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to darren thank you Thank you, Joe. Cheers. And we'll see you in a few days' time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 